before dawn, milk cows work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, i got a little audio glitch going on there. Um, but I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in today. And uh, we're going to um, be talking today about the environmental social governance and the diversity, equity, and inclusion and the wokeness that's plaguing Target and Bud Light and pushing the uh, trans agenda. And, you know, it's it's really clear that the, the trans agenda is sort of like a Black Lives Matter agenda. And you wonder how it is that the Republicans never have these agendas that are militarized, that are weaponized. They don't have the government that's weaponized in their favor. That's number one. I mean... Yeah, they, they do got uh, some movement with respect to the uh, new FBI whistleblower where uh, Christopher Ray Christopher Ray basically uh, um, admitted that he has this all-important document, the uh, FD-1023, the FB Director Ray has confirmed the existence of the FD-1023 form, alleging then Vice President Biden engaged in a criminal bribery scheme with a foreign national. He's allowing this unclassified record to be reviewed by, at the FBI, but hasn't produced it to the Oversight Committee. That's James Comer. So he hasn't, he hasn't uh, done that. I'm hearing that static, too. Uh, don't know what to do about it just yet. But um, in any case, an interesting series of updates to the FBI whistleblower case of Joe Biden taking $5 million bribe payment, which now looks to have originated in Ukraine. The background claim is pretty basic. A whistleblower approached Congress 
stating the FBI had a report, an unclassified FD-1023, detailing conversation with a confidential human source that outlined Vice President Joe Biden's taking a $5 million payment from a foreign national to affect a U.S. policy decision. The FBI agent responsible for investigating this, the confidential human source claim was FBI supervisory intelligence analyst Brian Alton, a sketchy character from the Trump-Russia probe. The investigation events took place in June and July of 2020 during the presidential election year. So that was right in the middle of an election year. The claim is that FBI supervisory intelligence analyst Alton, the shady character, reportedly buried the CHS uh, confidential human source allegation saying it could not be corroborated and then wrote an assessment that it was Russian disinformation. So the guy's obviously a libtard. However, the FBI investigation team didn't see any effort by any FBI member to substantiate it. So basically what you had was you had this really radically left uh, Auten guy, uh, Brian Auten, an analyst, who basically came across some documents and buried it. And then the FBI never picked up the case, basically said, why do we want to touch that? That's a political hot potato. So that's where we are with that. Uh, We'll see what happens with that. That's kind of interesting, though. Uh, Of course, um, the uni party is uh, raising our debt ceiling and all kinds of things like that. Uh, We got uh, West Virginia Governor Jim Justice announcing that he's going to be running for U.S. Senate, and he's 20 points above uh, Manchin for the West Virginia Senate seat. The European Union is now uh, warning that pregnant women not get the COVID-19 vaccine due to the possibility of infertility and miscarriage. So we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, of course, there's always Ukraine money laundering and weapons are showing up in the in the Mexican cartels. Uh, There's stories being reported of weapons that were once delivered to Ukraine, uh, shoulder pocket tank tank busters and things like that are winding up. And again, it's right back to that black market currency, you know, human trafficking, drug trafficking, oil trafficking, weapons trafficking. Everything is paid for in commodities like those. And these exchanges are made. But today we're going to be covering, you know, what's happening here in our country and around the world uh, with the losing of our civil liberties and the losing of our sovereignty. And uh, the WHO, for example, is taking over uh, all pandemics and basically our health. And uh, the guy running that show is a terrorist, Tedros. He's running the World World Health Organization. He's lock, stop, in bed with uh, his donors who all belong to the World Economic Forum. And so, you know, who gives the WHO money are people that belong to Klaus Schwab and 
one of the big corporations that actually controls Klaus Schwab is a guy named uh, is BlackRock, owned by, run by a guy named Larry Fink. Uh, but you also have Vanguard, and you also have uh, State Street. There was a really good explanation that I want you all to hear regarding how this all works. I've been saying it for years, and I say it over and over again, that it's the money that controls the narrative. The narrative controls the puppet masters or the puppeteers, you know, basically these puppeter, puppet uh, mockingbird media. The Don Lemons and the Rachel Maddows and the, you know, all these Jake Tappers of the world say what they're supposed to say. That's why, you know, it's kind of interesting when you hear those audio clips of everybody's reading from the same script all, all across America. All of our news agencies are controlled by the advertising dollars that, that are spent on them. And we see a lot of Pfizer and a lot of BlackRock investing. And I've seen a lot of... Um, advertising uh, from these companies. And the reason why is because they want to control the narrative. So people aren't going to speak up against Pfizer vaccines if Pfizer is giving them billions of dollars in ad dollars. So it doesn't matter whether they're telling the truth. It matters whether or not they're going to be able to buy that Rolex and that BMW and that big house and look powerful and smart and be accepted by your peers and colleagues. That's what the whole White House Correspondents' Dinner is about. That's charade. And all of these other things. So you get all these cronies and all these people, and you got the politicians basically kissing up to the media, and the media basically controlling the politicians. And if it's not for the media controlling the politicians with bad press or good press, and better believe it's globalist press, you also have the globalist money donating to campaigns, buying votes, and rigging elections. And if you're George Soros, you've done a really great job in planting DAs and justice and judges in our Justice Department so that people will not only turn a blind eye to the people that are killing innocent Americans, like the Antifa and Black Lives Matter folks, that are just thuggery, looting stores, calling it reparations, the cost of doing business. But don't worry, the money's still going to come because where you might lose money over here at Target, we're going to get the money from somewhere else because people have to buy stuff and we're never going to let you go go under. And because uh, you know these corporations are owned by one company, BlackRock or Vanguard. You know, when you take a look at all of the companies, there was a there was a, a little parody spoof. It was kind of funny. There I wasn't I wasn't gonna play it because you know he doesn't mention he, he kind of shows you in in the video some of these products. But it's funny, you'll get the idea. I'm not gonna play the whole thing. But you'll get the whole you'll get the idea of everything you touch and do is controlled by BlackRock. Every single thing you do, whether you like it or not. Talk about a boy you can't boycott this stuff. But take a listen to this little charming little comedy piece. 
And behind him, as he's saying it, he's running the business profile, the ownership profile, and it's BlackRock Vanguard, BlackRock Vanguard, BlackRock Vanguard, Vanguard BlackRock in every one of these companies. Let's take a listen. This is just a made-up story. None of it's real. Woke up this morning in the United States of BlackRock. First thing I did is I went and sat on the toilet, pulled out my iPhone, and you know, checked in on Instagram. Grabbed a glass, poured myself a glass of tap water, and I thought I should make some breakfast. So I had some ham, a couple of eggs, and some of my favorite kind of bread. Threw a little bit of my jam on there, and I got dressed in some of my favorite clothes. Walked out the door, hopped in my car, drove to the new job I just got. Doing data analytics for Amazon. Lunchtime, I got hungry. I Ubered up some McDonald's. And then after work, I hit the gym on my way home. Got home hungry and tired, so you know I ovened up one of my favorite frozen dinners. Fed my dog her favorite dog food. And you know. So and he was talking about fitness, like Planet Fitness. And then uh, went home and got a bite to eat. And he was showing Tyson's. Uh, of course, Uber Eats, Uber, Amazon, Google. Warner Brothers, you know, turning on the TV, Comcast, you know, all of these companies, every single thing you touch, every single thing you do is is controlled this way. All right. So um, I, I want to uh, I want to play this one clip, though. This is a absolutely a really good um, clip that covers Covers things really, really well. All right, so uh, I I think I lost it, but I'm going to get it. And um, oh, here it is. All right, here we go, right here. Why? There's three initiatives that are put down through the World Economic Forum. One is called CEI, one is called ESG, and one is called DEI. These initiatives are put down as social initiatives from the World Economic Forum, the most powerful people on the planet, through the banks to the big corporations. These corporations, unlike my business, actually depend on that financing 100%. So if they don't do the things that these three initiatives, the CEI, the ESG, and the DEI say, they actually lose their funding so they can't operate their business. So you say, well, aren't these people smart enough to understand why they're they're destroying their business? They can't not do it because if they don't do it, they won't get their funding. So they can't operate. So they have no choice but to do it. And then they drive their business into the dirt. And here's why that's happening. Because the people who run these companies, the officers of the companies, are not the founders of the companies. These are people that are many generations removed and many degrees of caring about the actual brand removed, all right? So these people are college graduates who think they know a whole bunch of stuff because they have an advanced degree and they are making decisions that are, you know, basically about the money and thinking that eventually people will adopt this and it won't, it will stop, but it's not going to stop and it's not supposed to stop. This is what people are failing real. What's happening is we are dealing with a communist insurgency that is undermining the values and the identity of the American public. What they are doing is they are intentionally creating a scenario where the American people rejecting this initiative is actually hurting iconic American brands that remove much of the American identity. So when you name these companies off, all of these companies represent America when you think of them traditionally. So now they're removing part of the identity, which is part of the communist process called demoralization. If there's less identity in America, there's less to fight for, which makes it easier to conquer. 
All right. Then on top of it, one of the goals of communism is to create two classes of people, very poor and very rich. And so what they're doing here is they are getting the American public to cancel their own companies that actually hurts their own neighbors who are good, hardworking American people. Because the people at Bud Light at the top are not the ones feeling the pain here. It's the delivery drivers. It's the, the hardworking red, white, and blue Americans. Who are getting fired or laid off or losing because of this so they have run an operation to push this initiative down through the companies intentionally where the companies cannot resist it because they're required to do so for their funding knowing that the american people are going to reject it and destroy these companies creating the lower class system that they're trying to create in the first place so I had a mute that one, there was a little gap in a mute. Uh, he said a curse word. He was basically saying, you know, with the whole thing about Bud Light is it hurts the truck drivers. It hurts the delivery guys. It hurts the people working in the plant. These people are going to get laid off and BlackRock doesn't care. BlackRock is pushing its woke agenda. And that's what it's all about. It's all about that. It's power. And they're pushing this wokeness. For the the main reason is for the uh, their taxation and scoring and compliance and control and uh, this is what happens when you have a super global monopoly. Again, I keep talking about the Rockefellers and Standard Oil uh, brought about the Sherman Act and the antitrust laws. Of the 20s and 30s. They had Standard Oil. Standard Oil was doing unfair business practices. And lowering their oil prices. Below cost. Putting out everybody else out of business. As soon as their competitors went out of business. They raised their prices. They had a monopoly. And they could afford to do that then. People had to pay whatever the price was. Or they couldn't put gas in their car. So basically, you know, it was one of these things where I saw this one one um, spoof on a country western where this person was inventing electricity and then uh, also inventing. Um, it's talking about all these new appliances. That's a refrigerator. That's a that's a stove. That's a um, you know that's an air conditioner, right? That's a vacuum cleaner. It, it's going to make your life easier. And the person, the skeptic, you know, he goes and he says, wow, you, you seem to be selling me all of these things that require the thing that you're selling, which is electricity. And I thought, uh-huh. Just like the electric vehicle, right? You know, you're going to basically cut off the oil supply to a combustible engine. You're going to then pass laws that say you can't buy that car past 2030 if you're in California or whatever. Uh, you're going to have to buy this electrical vehicle and you're going to have to buy it from us because we're the only game in town. And that that business would have never, ever competed against combustible engines because nobody wanted the electric vehicle. And there's all kinds of problems associated with fill-up and charging stations and and all kinds of things about distance and and uh, the expenses associated with repla- battery replacements, the slave labor that it takes to, and, and the carbon footprint and emissions that it takes to manufacture and make an electric vehicle. So 
There's no clear benefit either. But one side's going to benefit from it. It's sort of like COVID. You know, when um, Woody Harrelson was on Saturday Night Live and he says, the drug, the drug dealers get together and they say, you can't leave your house unless you buy their product. And their product was the vaccine. So you can't leave your house unless you're vaccinated. So you got to buy the drug cartels drugs. And uh, it's the same thing with all of the businesses, business models that are set up, is that they force you to buy their product. So they invent climate. They invent the crisis. You better believe uh, the next shoe to drop is going to be a, an electric magnetic pulse or some sort of power outage or some sort of cyber polygon, cyber attack that's going to make it so the people in charge are going to benefit from that crisis too. Namely, someone like Bill Gates. They're going to come in and save the day as if they're the smartest people in the room. Meanwhile, you know, he spent... How much time with Epstein and little girls? Bill Gates. We don't know the answer to that because they won't release the Epstein list, but that is starting to come up as well. Well, let's take a listen to this. The failed vaccine passport agenda was supposed to be a precursor to a social credit score system which precedes a Chinese-style diversity check. BlackRock, Vanguard, Supergoal, Super global corporate partnerships over multinational corporations and world leaders control the new world order narrative and political agenda that further strengthen their monopoly and global dominance. And that's exactly what this is about. Let's take a listen. Why are so many companies going woke? There had to be some reason. And after some digging, I found it. The CEI, Corporate Equality Index, a.k.a. the Woke Credit Score. It's a made-up score based on how much a company is pushing woke issues. And who made up and gives this score? An organization called the HRC, a massive political lobbying group. Apparently, HRC sends representatives to corporations every year, telling them the kind of stuff they have to make visible at the company, give them a list of demands, and if they don't follow through, there's a threat that they won't keep their CEI credit score. And why do companies even care about this made-up woke credit rating? If they get a bad score, then the woke investor funds start putting pressure on the boards. Woke activists are mobilized out in the streets. Advertising campaigns are shut down. Anyone that continues to do business with them will also be penalized. This is fascism. Don't play their game, don't get their investment. And who is funding the HRC? Surprise, surprise, it's George Soros' Open Society Foundation. Now, this HRC has introduced this arbitrary credit rating to everything. States, municipalities, and even schools. Imagine that. There are people who are deciding what credit score an individual school can get. They threaten them by having these big funds withhold investments into them. We now have a made-up scoring system that doesn't physically exist, deciding how much digital money that doesn't physically exist companies get. And it makes people physically act a certain way. This is truly mind control. You know, we need a law in America that says our elections, for example, aren't allowed to be manipulated in any way by foreign, by foreign corporations. And there's a there could be a law that uh, that uh, wraps itself around antitrust, like the Sherman Act of 2.0, where these global corporations, these global monopolies, can't 
have this kind of sway over, you know, and there's, there ought to be some laws put into place. But people like Kevin McCarthy, who sell out for debt ceilings and all kinds of stuff, um, just the biggest sellouts are in bed with the globalists. That's the problem. That's why we need more America first, nationalist, anti-globalist politicians. And that is Donald Trump. It's not DeSantis. DeSantis is owned and operated by Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney and every globalist under the sun. That's why he makes the most money. And they're going to try to power by their way into the office and keep on keeping on. They love nothing more than to have two candidates. One, a Republican that's a globalist. Remember George Herbert Walker Bush? One against Clinton. They were both in bed with globalists. We thought we had a choice, but we really didn't. They're all part of the same uni party. Al Gore and George W. Bush and, and uh, you know, um, John Kerry and all these people. And Barack Obama, they were all at the behest. They worked at the behest of the global of power. And it was Donald Trump that said, I don't want to take their money. And it was Donald Trump that, for better or for worse, you know, he, he, he didn't make every great decision. I mean, with regard to some of the hires he hired, maybe he was a bit naive in with Gina Haspel and Christopher Ray, Christopher Ray, and that maybe he was between a rock and a hard place. Maybe he was coerced. We don't know what in what went into the you know, the Hopkins choice of Hobson's choice of, of that. Uh, maybe he was coerced because I can't come to grips with, you know, why he hired some of these people. But I will say this. He spoke up the most and the loudest against NATO and against NATO aggression to Ukraine that started this war with Russia. And, uh, he he uh, wanted to say drill, baby, drill. He wanted energy and independence, which was great. He wanted a solid, secure border, lower taxes. Uh, he had great jobs market. He wanted to bring manufacturing back, renegotiate trade with China. And he got out of the Paris Accord, the Paris Agreement, and TPP, and these multinational corporations that basically send slave labor over to China so that the globalist multinational corporations can profit from the slave labor. So Trump did a lot that he does not get credit for. But let's take a listen to the second part of what you just heard. My last video about the new woke credit score being given to companies, I wondered how long until they start giving individuals credit scores like China does. Well, it's already here. Going through Disney's shareholder packet, I discovered something called a diversity check on page 19. And these checks are being given to individual board members. Now, here's the scary part. According to Disney, the company values representation on the board of gender, ethnic, racial, and cultural perspectives that reflect the diversity of the company. So you only get this check if you fit what the company values. Now, Disney has 11 board members. And out of the 11, only four did not get the check. And what do all these four have in common? They are all white males. Now, if you do not get this check, it's been announced to everyone that you do not represent the values of Disney. And you don't get this check if you're a white male. 
This is discrimination in the name of equity. The woke left have become brazen enough to do this in plain sight. It's pretty clear the woke agenda is trying to remove all white males from positions of power. And this stupid check that they are now giving to individual members can and will be quickly extended to all employees of the company. They want this to be a prerequisite on applications. Didn't get a diversity check from your last job? You're unhirable because some woke organization determined that you didn't do enough to get this stupid check. This is the beginnings of the individual social credit score, and it must be stopped. Not only that, but, you know, I took a look at a uh, recent Harvard graduation class, and it was all white <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, and then you go over to Berkeley, and they have segregated graduations uh, where blacks don't want whites or diversity of any kind. It's kind of crazy, you know, uh, the, this equity and diversion uh quota-based system. Uh, well, here's Larry Fink uh, on the, uh, Jesse Waters. Again, I turned off my Fox and my YouTube TV. I uh, only get these videos and audios through YouTube, um, uh, the, you know, the, the video channel, um, and also uh, on Twitter. But here, here's... There's super, their super global monopoly must be stopped. The Bud Light, Miller Light, Adidas, Ford, and Target woke agenda are essentially marching orders from their BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard puppet masters powered by super global monopoly money to coerce big corp, big tech, and big media to carry out their globalist woke agenda, which is designed to confuse children, future voters, distort truth, attack Christianity with the global and uh, goal of replacing your goal your god and your traditional values uh, family values with their global government new world order they want to ultimately control your food money energy and health it's also why they attack parents with indoctrinating woke teachers and push divisive divisive equity over unifying equality. Uh, They also hate America. They hate what America stands for. The people behind this are Marxists, socialists, communists. They are the Nazi next generation of Nazis. And they hate uh, what America stands for. And America is great when it stands for something it, it wants to defend. But, you know, this targeting of American identity uh, and distorting the identity of America with language, with with multiculturalism and diversity to the extent that it's socially engineered in, in an un, unhealthy way. We're not evolving. This is all being force-fed down people's throats. And, you know, the so-called elites, uh, like Boris Johnson said, Believe me, I think that what's going to have to happen is people are going to have to stop flying around the world or stop flying as much. Uh, And I do this. I fly everywhere. I fly all over the world. He lacked self-awareness. He basically said, it's going to come to the point where we're going to have to be told we can't fly somewhere. And trust me, I see this all over the world. I fly all over the world. He said it in the same statement, completely unaware and oblivious to that privilege, that soundbite that he just ex- exclaimed. But let's take a listen to this. Well, I don't think I don't think they care. I don't think they care about the cost. Uh, th- this is not being done by these brands. This is being done by management and uh, those who uh, run the companies from the outside, particularly uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. So these are investment that- funds on Wall Street 
that are influencing advertising campaigns? Absolutely. Why Absolutely. would they be interested in doing that? Because they're pushing their agenda, their, their, the, the world agenda, the globalist agenda. It, it sound, for the longest time, it sounded like a um, conspiracy theory to say these things out loud. But it's not a conspiracy theory. And to take a listen to this. Watch. This is Larry Fink wanting to force behaviors. Forcing these companies to Bud Light themselves already have enough money. They have so much money, they're looking for things to do. Who are these companies? Companies like Vanguard, BlackRock, the companies that own major stakes in Target or Disney. So with all that shareholder clout, they can force these companies to do whatever they want. They confess this is what they're doing. Behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing we're, going to, we're asking. This is Larry Fink from BlackRock. Uh, you have to force behaviors, and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. What we are doing internally is, if you don't achieve these levels of impact, it, your compensation could be impacted. Okay, you have to force behaviors, and if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race, or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted. So we went from the customer's always right to screw you. This is all because rich white liberals on Wall Street feel guilty about being billionaires. So they force companies to go woke to pay off the social justice gods. And it's also brilliant class warfare. The peasants aren't going to storm the castle. You know, if they think the rich guy that owns the castle is nice and lets everybody. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing there, too. Uh, we have a lot of other clips we want to play. This is the one I wanted to really share with you uh, that uh, addresses this subject really well. Let's take a listen. Woke is supposed to advance equity in Europe. So here's the definition of equity and see if it sounds like a definition of anything else you've ever heard of. The definition of equity comes from the public administration literature. It was written by a man named George Fredrickson. And the definition is an administered political economy in which shares are adjusted so that citizens are made equal. Does that sound like anything you've heard of before? Like socialism. They're going to administer an economy to make shares equal. The only difference between equity and socialism is the type of property that they redistribute the type of shares. They're going to redistribute social and cultural capital in addition to economic and material capital. And so this is my thesis when we say what is woke? Woke is Maoism with American characteristics, if I might borrow from Mao himself, who said that his philosophy was Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics, which means woke is Marxism. And it's a very provocative statement. It's something you will certainly hear it is not, that it is different. And the, the, the professors and the philosophers will spend a large amount of time explaining to you why. No, no, it's about economics when it's Marxism. This is social. This is cultural. This is different. It's not different. I need you to think biologically for one moment. And I don't mean about your bodies. We could do that. That's a different topic. I want you to think how we organize plants and animals when we study them. They're species, but above species, there are the genus of the animals. So you think like the cats, all the cats, but you have tigers, you have lions, you have house cats, you have whatever, leopards, many different kinds of cats. If we think of Marxism as a genus of 
ideological thought, then classical economic Marxism is a species. Radical feminism is a species in this same genus. Critical race theory is a genus, or sorry, a species in this genus. Queer theory is a species in this genus. Post-colonial theory that's plaguing Europe is a species in this genus. And they have something that binds them together called intersectionality that makes them treat it as if they are all one thing. But the logic is Marxist, and I want to convince you of that. Because Marx had a very simple proposition, but we get lost. We think that Marx was talking about economics because he often talked about economics. He wrote a book called Capital. It's a very famous book. And we think, well, this is about economic theory. But this isn't true. It, it's only true on the surface. If we go below the surface, what Marx was talking about was something different. We know what Marx's hypothesis was, was that we must seize the means of production if we're going to bring socialism to the nations, to the world. We have to seize the means of production. So we have to ask, what does he mean? And if we think that it's about capital, then we miss what he means. If you think it's about the means of production in the factory with a hammer and the means of production in the field with a sickle, then you miss what it means. Because Marx explained what makes human beings special in his earlier writings. And what makes human beings special is that man is a being that is incomplete and knows that he is incomplete. He is a man whose true nature has been forgotten to him, which is social being. He is a socialist at heart who doesn't realize it. And the reason he doesn't realize it is because of the economic conditions operating as the means of construction or production, not just of the economy, but of him, but of man, of society, and particularly of history. Marx said that he had the first scientific study of history. How was history produced? By man, doing man's activity. And man's key activity was economic activity, as he saw it. And so economic production doesn't just produce the goods and services of the economy, it produces society itself. And society, in turn, produces man. He called this the inversion of praxis. And so when he says we must seize the means of production, and he's talking about factories and fields, he's actually talking about how we construct who we are as human beings so that we might complete ourselves, so that we might complete history. And at the end of history, mankind will remember that he is a social being, and we will have a socialist society. A perfect communism that transcends private property, is how he put it. He said, in fact, that communism is the transcendence of private property as human self-estrangement. That's a quote from the Economic Philosophic Manuscripts of 1844. So Marx was interested in controlling, or understanding and controlling, how man produces himself. And he writes about this ex exclusively in the 1840s very deeply. How do we do this? And he looks at the economic conditions and he says, this is where it is. And that's why we get economic Marxism. And that's why we think Marx was an economist. But Marx was never an economist. He was a theologian. He wanted to produce a religion for mankind that would supersede all of the religions of mankind and bring him back to his true social nature. And this is the true fact of Marx. And what the goal was, like I said, is to complete man. So what he said is, well, how are we building man currently? All of his economic analysis is about how are we building man at present through what he called material determinism.
And he said, well, what we have is a special form of private property in our society. Our society is organized around private property. And so all of our thoughts organize around private property. In other words, there's a special kind of property that the bourgeois elite class has access to, and then they organize society to exclude everybody else from access to that property through exploitation, through alienation, through estrangement, through oppression. And so what Karl Marx was proposing is that economics becomes a vehicle to separate society into a bourgeois class that has access to a special form of property, the people who have access wish to retain that, so they oppress people and keep other people out of that special form of property. They erect a system of classism to do that. It's enforced by an ideology called capitalism that believes that this is the right way to uh, engage in the world. And what we have to do is awaken the underclass, the proletariat, to the real conditions and the fact that they are historical agents of change and bring them to do a revolution and transform society so that we would have equity or socialism, whichever word you want. They have the same definition. Now, let's say that we step out. We, this is, we, we step back from this species, this economic species, Homo economicus, and we step back to the genus and we look at this idea, a special form of property that segregates society into people who have the bourgeois and the people who do not have, who are in class conflict with an ideology that keeps this in place. And the lender class must awaken with consciousness to fight back and to seize the means of production of that form of deterministic property. And now we say, change out class, put in race. And watch, we get critical race theory falls out of the hat, just like that. Very simple. In 1993, Cheryl Harris wrote a long article for the Harvard Law Review called Whiteness as Property. She explained that whiteness, or white privilege, constitutes a kind of cultural private property. She says it must be abolished in order to have racial justice. Just like Karl Marx said that in the Communist Manifesto, he wrote, communism can be summarized in a single sentence, the abolition of private property. Well, this is why critical race theory calls to abolish whiteness, because whiteness is a form of private property. People who have access to this property are whites or white adjacent, or they act white. These are words out of the American lexicon that they've used to describe how, how people gain access to the private property. People without that are people of color, and they are oppressed by systemic racism. Systemic racism is enforced by an ideology of white supremacy, Instead of capitalism, if you think of whiteness as a form of cultural capital, white supremacy as they define it is identical to capitalism. It's the belief, it's not believing that white people are superior. It's believing that white people have access to the control of society and should maintain that. Even if you don't actually believe that. If you merely support that, you have adopted the, the ideology of white supremacy into your mind. And so you have the exact same system. And the goal is to awaken a racial consciousness in people so that they will band together as a class and seize the means of cultural production so that white cultural production is no longer the dominant mode. It's a big mystery in Europe, I know, and in the UK, throughout Europe, I hear this question again and again. Why on earth is this very American phenomenon about slavery and so on that doesn't apply to our country? Why is it popular here? It's because it's not about history at all. It's not about slavery at all. 
Those are excuses that they use. It's about creating a class consciousness that's against this form of property called whiteness, that's against the dominant culture that may just be, a matter of fact, say, if you're in Europe. That's why. Because it becomes a site by which people can come together and they can channel resentment and try to claim power. I wrote a book called Race Marxism, and I defined critical race theory as it really is in that book on the first page. I said that critical race theory is calling everything you want to control racist until you control it. But couldn't we say the same about Marxism? It's calling everything you want to control bourgeois until you control it. But those mean the same thing. They mean exactly the same thing. But what about, say, queer theory? How is that Marxist? It's very strange, all this gender and sex and sexuality. Well, Tom said, what is woke attack? The idea of being normal. Well, the queer theory thinks that there are certain people who get to set the norms of society. They are privileged. They call themselves normal. They say this is normal. It's normal to consider yourself a man and look like a man and act like a man and dress like a man and eat meat like a man. And then there are women that should be feminine and pretty and all these things. And so they get to define what's normal. They're heterosexuals, so they get to define the heterosexuality as normal and other sexualities are abnormal. And so you have a conflict across this cultural property of who gets to be considered normal and who is a pervert or a freak or some other term that gets used in their literature. But technically, who is a queer, which sounds like a slur, but they adopted it and it's a technical academic term now. It means an identity without an essence, by the way. An identity that is strictly oppositional to the concept of the normal, as defined by queer theorist David Halperin in his 1995 book, Saint Foucault, Toward a Gay Hagiography. I didn't make that up. I'm not extrapolating. So you see, queer theory is just another species of the genus of Marxism. What about post-colonial theory, which is plaguing Europe, thanks to Franz Fanon and his biggest European fan, Jean-Paul Sartre? What about this? Well, it's the same. You have the West as the oppressor. They have access to the material and cultural wealth of the world because they've decided their culture is the default and have gone and colonized the world to bring culture to the world, as they say. And so the oppressed, the, 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 the natives around the world, the people have to band together, and their activity is going to be called decolonization. They have to remove every aspect of Western culture. So when they come to Belgium or they come to France or they come to the United States and they say we're going to decolonize the curriculum or they go to the UK and say we're going to decolonize Shakespeare, this is what they mean. We're going to remove the cultural significance of your cultural artifacts because those cultural artifacts themselves are oppressive to us. This is the same system. It's another species in the exact same genus, and that genus is Marxism, which is a way of thinking about the world. And the goal is always to seize the means of control of the production of man and history and society. Marx merely believed it was through economic means. Now it's through socio-cultural means. The evolution into this sometimes called Western Marxism began in the 1920s. We had a Russian revolution in 1917, and this did not happen in Europe. And the Marxists in Europe were confused. And so Antonio Gramsci sat down and wrote out some things. And George Lukács sat down and wrote History and Class Consciousness after the failure of the revolution in Hungary. And they wrote what became cultural Marxism. 
The idea that we have to enter the cultural institutions in order to change them from within, because Western culture has something about it that's repelling socialism. So we have to go inside and change the culture to make it socialist. Now, you aren't allowed to talk about cultural Marxism now. They've categorized this as a conspiracy theory. They say that it is anti-Semitic. This is not true. Antonio Gramsci wrote books. George Lukács wrote books. You can read those books. They have a philosophy. If they don't like the name cultural Marxism, we can use the name that other people at the time used, Western Marxism. So much like... Uh, I don't know, a virus adapting to the conditions. It, it changed to try to infect a new host. It worked in feudal societies. Marxism took over in Russia. It took over later in China. It took over in all of these kind of agriculturally driven feudal societies. But it wouldn't work in actual capitalist nations because Marx was wrong. Then several Germans from the Frankfurt School started to study this phenomenon in more depth. And they evolved the idea further. They evolved the idea into what's called critical Marxism. They developed what's called the critical theory. And Max Horkheimer, who designed the critical theory, explained the critical theory. And what did he say? He said, well, what we came to realize was that Marx was wrong about one thing. Capitalism does not immiserate the worker. It allows him to build a better life. So I and that's the essence of uh, his speech right there. You know, you heard a lot of that. That was actually a 30-minute speech. Uh, we listened to about 10 minutes of that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that um, you can do is you can go to my social media, uh, go to twitter.com uh, and look uh, and find Scott Adams Show or twitter.com slash Scott Adams Show. Uh, that person right there was, his name is Dr. James Lindsay. And we are going to go ahead and take a caller. Uh, let's see. Caller, you're on the air. Scott, hi. This is John from Illinois. How are you? Hi. I'll be brief. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that we have had conversations about off and on for a couple of years. is cultural Marxism, which is underlying, which is the structural bed for all the insanity that's been going on here. And... What, what everything what I said is exactly right, but this is something which they did as a way of sort of undermining the entire sort of cultural critique, and they had to figure out how to switch strategies in mid-game, so to speak, to come after uh, the Western societies when they failed to make a revolution here. And then using this whole, well, it's anti-Semitism trope, yeah, a lot of the people involved in the Frankfurt School were Jewish. They, they were Jews, as they were, as were probably 80% of the Bolsheviks in the original stages of the Russian Revolution. It is what it is what it is, but it's just how scurrilous that they are. They're willing to use that to say, it's like shutting down everything by saying racist. If you accept that, then they win. But that, that's so silly. So of course we can't accept that. But, but when you funny. Can, you know, uh, I don't know who the speaker was, but it's totally true. That was James Lindsay, Lindsay there. Um, but uh, Dr. James okay. Lindsay, uh, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y. Um, yeah, I've heard of him, okay. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, they were able to change the narrative on uh, uh, the um, Jim Crow laws and the the uh, and the Ku Klux Klan in the 60s and how, you know, it was the Democrats that were the defenders of slavery and the perpetrators of segregation. It was it was the Republicans that righted those wrongs. His, and, and they want to say somehow there was this great switch. But when you control the media. And you control the corporations. 
you end up controlling, you know, the argument and uh, you win these arguments. How how the black population came to be Democrat is still a little bit of a mystery for me. Yeah, I think that switch occurred in Moss in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and I probably due to some of the racial politicking. And I think that's likely a direct outgrowth or at least a partial outgrowth of this kind of cultural Marxism. But like George the Wallace, the, the guy who stood in front of the door, the governor of Alabama was a Democrat. Uh, Robert Byrd was a Democrat. He was the last grand wizard or whatever. Uh, J- even Jefferson Davis, you know, was fighting against the first Republican, Lincoln, right? I mean, it just gets crazy. Yeah, I mean, they're going to say, well, the party's kind of switched labels, right? That um, a lot of these same uh, people who are the Democratic bulwark yeah. in the South switched the Republican Party, which is, which is, I think, largely true. So I don't, I don't really care. To me, I don't right. that argument. I understand the argument, but in, in one sense. But, uh, but I think a lot of this was racial politics, and they actually talked about this. I forget the fellow's name, Marcuse talked about, well, using black revolutionaries, so to speak, uh, and the black anger as sort of a, a vanguard to help to push this sort of thing. Um, and that was that, that was one of their strategies, and they, they therefore pursued them in the 50s and 60s. I mean, I know we've talked about this, I mean, I remember calling up, we're talking about this five or six years ago, and I'm glad people are picking up on it, because it is absolutely true, because if you don't understand that assumption, it's pretty hard to kind of fight back and constantly seeding ground, well, no, I don't want to be racist or anti-Semite or whatever. You just have to ignore all that. So I'm glad people are, are waking up to that. Anyway, that's all I wanted to chime in. When I heard that, I'm like, ah, that rings a bell. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for calling in today. Take right, care. Thanks, God. Have a great day. You too. Bye. All right. Well, um, that brings us really to the end of the Scott Adams Show. Uh, you know, be sure to check out, um, oh, email scott at scottadamshow.com if you want to get a copy of the magazine that we were talking about. That's uh, Scott at scottadamshow.com. If you'd like to make a comment or ask me uh, who who is in an audio clip, I get that all the time, by the way. Uh, who is that guy that clipped? And, you know, and I, I'll send the respond, respond, reply back. But if you want to get... Um, it, again, it's not you're not going to be put on any list. It's just something Leonora is doing um, where she is writing for the American Spectator. She had two featured articles. It's a great magazine. Uh, if you email scott at scottadamshow.com uh, and give us your send me your address, I'll forward it to her. She'll have an intern actually send a packet out, uh, and it's free. There's no obligation. It's, this is not a trick of any sort. And I'm not even... I don't get paid for that. There's no benefit to me. I'm not sanctioned to do it. We're just doing it. Um, in any case, uh, email address is scott at scottadamshow.com. You check out magapack.org. Use Red State over at my pillow. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye bye.